So yesterday was one of the days that James and I have what we like to call daddy-son adventure days. These are the days when Audrey has to go to work and this guy is stuck looking after a one-year-old. And I discovered a long time ago that our days go smoother if we don't stay at the house. But if we go out and do stuff, there's less crying and James cries less too. But yesterday morning, before, before that happened, I was watching, I've, in the last couple of weeks, I've gotten into watching rally racing. Don't ask me why, I have no idea, but it's awesome, and it's much better than driving in circles. But there was a rally on in Belgium, and I was watching it yesterday morning before we left the house, and my phone um, chimed that I had a text message. And so sort of just jokingly, I said, hey, James, will you hand me my phone? And the little dude looked at me. Looked at the phone, got up, walked over to the phone, grabbed the phone, brought it over to me. It's been such an amazing thing over the last 14 months watching him grow and mature. I was telling my parents yesterday as we were driving back from Wilmington, I said, you know, I feel like just in the two months since his first birthday, he's gone from being a baby to being a little boy. He's... He's becoming a toddler, right? Like, like he's able to, to hear instructions and respond to them. He's already started rolling his eyes at my very bad jokes. But, you know, he wasn't born with the ability to get up and walk. He wasn't born with the ability to understand when I asked him to bring me his phone. He's, he's had to learn those things. He's, he's grown in those things. You know, that's how babies do. They learn by growing and being exposed to thing, things. There's a, there's a Christian spoken word and hip-hop artist by the name of Propaganda. And uh, Prop has a, an, a track on one of his albums called Board of Education, except it's B-O-R-E-D. It's important to note that he was formerly a teacher, and his wife has a Ph.D. in education. And he has this line in there, but he says, Nowhere in our lives did our mothers stick us in in straight rows to teach us how to do things. She taught us by pulling us up next to the sink and handing us a sponge and showing us how to wash the dishes. That's how we learn. Doctors have done research and and discovered that babies within an hour of being born, babies can differentiate their mother's voice from any other voice in the room. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul describes the people in the church in Corinth when he first got there. He describes them as babies. He talks about them as being babies in Christ. And they have to grow and mature. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we grow and mature in our faith? We grow and mature in our faith just like we grow and mature as human beings. By watching and by listening and by spending time with our Heavenly Father. We're continuing our series today on the Bible. We're going to be in Psalms, chapter 1, the first three verses. Psalms, chapter 1, the first three verses. If you'll turn with me, if you don't have a copy of Scripture with you, you've got the black hardback pew Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a copy of Scripture to call your very own, that is our gift to you this morning. 
Take one of those with you. Take two of them with you. Take five of them with you. Give them to people. There is no cost to the Word of God that we should not be willing to spend. We're in Psalm chapter 1, the first three verses. Will you stand with me as we read together? How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams, bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear gracious God, as we open your word today, I just pray that we would, that we would approach your word, that we would approach you as an infant, as a baby, as a child who is eager to learn and grow and mature. God, I pray that as we open your word and as we read and study it today, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. So the Psalms is an interesting book because it is the only book in the Bible that we know was written by more than one person. Psalms is a collection. It's an anthology. We know that some of the Psalms were written by David and some of the Psalms were written by other folks, some of whom are named, some of whom are not. So at some point, we know that somebody got together and collected the Psalms and and put them into the order that that they're in. Now, I hope that that doesn't upset you. you. You may not have ever thought about it that way, but I will share with you something that one of my professors in seminary shared with me. If we can believe in the inspiration of the author, we should be able to believe in the inspiration of the editor. And so we don't know who it was that combined. Uh, there, is, there is a tradition that says that it was Ezra who compiled the Psalms. There's not any scriptural evidence for that, but it's it's a nice story. But what we do know is this. Whoever this person was that collected these songs and prayers together and placed them together and put them in the order that they did, put them in an order that they did, and I have faith that they did so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so when we look at the first psalm in this collection we should ask ourselves, why? Why is this the first one? And we we can see here that, that Psalm 1 can sort of function as a gateway, as an entry point to all of the Psalms. That as we read that, we can see that it it offers a rule and a guide and sort of an explanation for why we should be reading them in the first place. To, to not seek the counsel of the wicked, to, to not walk in the way of sinfulness, to not sit in the seat with mockers, but, but to meditate on God's Word. Here's God's Word. Meditate on it. I'm reminding you at the beginning. And as we, so as we do that, we see it, it serves almost as, as a preface to the Psalms. And in fact, we could even think of it 
almost we could think of it as a preface to all of Scripture. That it's placed here as a reminder on what we should and how we should read Scripture. And so what we see in these three verses, we see three things. I love it when there are three verses and three things. It makes my sermon prep a lot easier. See three things. The first thing we see in verse 1 is we see the things that we should not do. What we see in verse 2 is the things that we should do. And we see in verse 3 the consequences of doing the things that we should. We see what we should not do, what we should do, and the consequences of doing what we should. So, the first thing, let's look at verse 1. What should we not do? The first thing that we should not do is we should not take advice from the wicked. Now, this is one of those things, it's almost like when we were back studying the Ten Commandments, right? And we would read the Ten, one of the commandments, and we'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then we'd start realizing all of the ways that we do the thing that we're not supposed to be doing. It's very easy for us to sit here and go, right, it makes sense. Don't take advice from the wicked. And yet, here's the thing, all of us do it. We all do it. We all take advice from the world from those who don't know Jesus, who don't know God. And Scripture tells us that those that don't know Him, those that don't know God, who don't walk with Jesus, that they are wicked. We don't like that, right? We don't even like that word all that much. Because when, when we think of wicked, we want someone, you know, with green skin and a pointy hat who melts when you pour water on her, Right? We want the wicked witch of the West. But Scripture tells us that even Satan comes beautiful. We take advice from the wicked all of the time because we seek wisdom in the world all of the time. How many of us are shaped day in and day out by the stuff we see on television? I want you to think for a second. How much time do you spend watching TV in the course of a day Versus how much time you spend in Scripture in the course of a day. And I want to be very clear before we start. I am the king of binge watching. But how many of us spend time watching TV in orders of magnitude, exponential orders of magnitude more than we spend time in Scripture? Or on the internet, on social media, I see some of y'all's Facebook feeds, by the way. You forget that when you friend the pastor, I can see what you post. There's all of these things that we do. There's also also all these things that that sometimes we find ourselves enslaved to these, these secular theories coming out of the world about wisdom. I was having a conversation just a couple of weeks ago with Jordan who's taking a bunch of psychology. Are you a psych major or minor? I don't remember. Major. And the theories that she is learning in her classes that are just totally and completely antithetical to what's here. You want to know one of the the biggest hurtful influences in the 20th century on humanity? Sigmund Freud. 
You want to know why everything in the world is about sex? Why you can't turn on the TV or the internet without seeing some sort of sexualized image? Sigmund Freud. And yet, almost any of you who have ever been to a secular psychiatrist or psychologist are talking to someone whose classes have been totally and completely shaped by Freud and the ideas that stem out of Freud. You're seeking. Now, here's the thing. I am all in favor of seeking mental health, mental health care. But you have to be careful, and you have to be discerning who and where you go to, because otherwise you can find yourself taking advice from the wicked, from people in our lives who who don't know Jesus and who aren't formed by Scripture. So that's the first thing we're not supposed to do. The second thing we're not supposed to do is we're not supposed to walk in sinfulness. Again, that's one of those things we should all go, oh, well, yeah, sure, of course, right. And yet, and yet, how often do we find ourselves in situations where we go, how did I end up here? I'll offer that walking in the way of sinfulness often comes after we take counsel from the wicked. Hey, man, life would be great if you just do it this way. And then six months later, you wake up and you don't know how you got there. I'm supposed to walk in the way of sinfulness. Interestingly, the, the Greek word for way is hodos. The way, and it, it's, it's, it's the way that we talk about following Jesus. In fact, some of the first Christians weren't known as Christians at all. You might remember from Scripture that term gets applied to them in Antioch. It's a pejorative against them. Most, many in the early church referred to themselves as followers of the way. The way of Jesus. As opposed to the way of sinfulness. So so we're not supposed to seek advice from the wicked. We're not supposed to walk in sinfulness. And we're not supposed to sit and talk with those who want to mock and cause division. You know, there are those who it seems are only interested in talking down and in causing division. Have any of y'all ever known someone who was an absolute and total drama king or queen? Drama just seemed to follow them all of the time. I see some of you poking other people sitting next to you. But there are people who, who it seems, take delight in causing division. There are people who, it seems, who take delight in, in mocking things. And I, I'll be honest with you, as, as a millennial... As someone who grew up as part of the post-irony generation, it's hard. I joke sometimes that my native language is sarcasm. It's hard. And there's, there's fun, and then there's the ugly stuff. You know, there are those who, who just want to stand in the way of the work of God's church. Who, who seek to divide. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago, we talked about gossip. This is one of the ways that dividers divide, is through gossip. 
You know, and one of the things that's hard for us sometimes too is to understand that sometimes those who seek to divide and to mock look and act and present themselves as if they just care a whole awful lot. But what's the outcome? What's the fruit? Is the fruit unity or is the fruit division? So we see here the, the, the things that we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to take counsel from the wicked, walk in sinfulness, and sate, sit with the mockers. But, but what should we do? Moving into verse 2, we see here, and what we see here is we see there are two things, two things directly that we are called to do. The first that we're called to do is that we are called to delight in the Lord's instructions. As we look at verse 2, we actually see the first word there is instead, right? I mean, this is as opposed to what we see in the first verse. As opposed to that, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to delight in the Lord's instructions. Now, that's kind of weird, right? How many of you when you were a child and your parents told you to do something, were delighted that you were told what to do. How many of us as adults are delighted when we're told to do something by a boss or an authority figure? Well, not a lot of us, right? There's a, there's a strong sort of anti-authoritarian streak that runs through the American psyche. It's why people do stupid things and talk back to police officers when just... Smile, nod, keep your hands on the wheel, and do what he tells you to. Some of you are, some of you are teachers. We stood earlier. Do your students delight when you tell them what to do? Interestingly, the, the, the largest shakings of the head come from the high school teachers. The one who teaches elementary school is going, no, not really. Students. We just prayed for you. Maybe I should have prayed that you would take delight in the instructions that your teachers give you. I saw the eye roll. We don't like it, do we? We don't like being told what to do. When I was little, when I was about Jamie's age, the fastest way my dad could get me to fall asleep in the car when I was fighting sleep was to say, Carter, don't you dare fall asleep. Don't you dare go to sleep, son. We've only got an hour until we get home. I need you to stay awake. Don't. Out. Like magic. We don't like being told what to do. We don't delight in instruction. And see, that's, what, that's what's going on here. What, this, what God is calling us to here through the psalmist is not a mere compliance with his instruction. Teachers, that's sometimes good enough, right, from your students? You don't care if they're delighted in your instructions. You just want them to comply. You just want them to use Times New Roman 12-point font double-spaced, not Courier News 16 font triple-spaced, right? And now we know who I got through college. What God calls us to is not mere compliance with his instruction. Now let's be clear, we're not capable of even that. 
But that's not what God is calling us to. What God calls us to here is delight. See, a mere compliance attitude about it would say, well, if I just do what the Scripture says, I'll be all right. If I, if I just comply, if I just knuckle down and follow the rules, keep my head down, keep my nose sling, I'll squeak through in the end. Right? But that is not the gospel. That is what we just talked about in our responsive reading. That is works righteousness. A, a compliance with the law. Keep my head down. Keep my nose clean. Nose to the grindstone. Put that elbow grease in. Do the work. That is works righteousness. Mere compliance. Even if you were able to comply with every jot and tittle of the law, compliance will not save you. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, you can't even comply. No. See, what delight does, what delight is, is, de- is delight is to love what it is that God commands. To delight in His instructions means that we love what He commands. And here's the thing. We are not, in our sin, able to love what God commands of us. We are born in sin. We are born opposed to God. We cannot love the things of God. In fact, our our sin hates what God commands. And so the only way, the only way that we can find delight in the Lord's instructions is through Jesus. Because what Jesus does is Jesus changes our attitudes. Jesus, Jesus isn't, doesn't come along and say, okay, Cammie, I know that you don't like the Lord's instructions and you don't like doing it, but now that I'm here, I'm going to give you the strength to do what needs to be done. That's not, that's not what God does. What God does is say, man, Alicia... I'm going to change your heart so that those things that yesterday, the the last moment you hated, you now love. He changes our, our heart so that we love the things that we once hated. So our attitude toward God moves from an attitude of obligation. You are God, I am not, therefore I will do what you tell me to. Moving from an attitude of obligation to an attitude of free and loving self-giving of ourselves in response to the free self-giving love of God. Now here's, here we are. Here we are in the Old Testament. Probably a thousand years before the birth of Christ. And we see in this verse a preview of the gospel. Delight in the Lord's instructions. It's only because of Jesus. Only because of His work for us and His grace offered to us. It is only because of that that we can find delight in anything of God. Grace is what allows us to have delight.
So that's the that's sort of the first thing we're supposed to do. We're supposed to delight in the Lord's instructions. Awesome. Okay, well, we need Jesus. We got that. All right, what's the next thing? The next thing is meditate on them. Meditate on them. Now, that's a, that's a, a strange word. That's a, that word meditate is a word that might make you uncomfortable. Because in our current sort of culture, when we hear the word meditate, we most often think of what we might think of is Eastern meditation, right? Meditation that involves sitting in a yoga position, saying the word om. You've seen the Bugs Bunny cartoons. That's often what we think of as meditation, right? We, we think of meditation as this thing that sort of comes out of Hinduism and, and Buddhism, and then it's all about achieving and reaching nirvana. And so the, the word meditate can be loaded for Christians. And yet it's here in Scripture. Meditate. But I, I think what we have to ask ourselves is, is what is the, the biblical understanding of Meditate and of meditation, and meditating on Scripture. And, and it's this. It's, it's thinking with intention about God's revealed truth and how it applies to our lives. You know, there are some folks that read Scripture and, and they don't think about it, right? They just, they just sort of read through it. Okay, those are the words. Okay, check the box. I've done my Scripture reading for the day. But what God's Word tells us is that we're supposed to meditate on it. We're supposed to bring some intentionality to it. We're supposed to consider it and think about it. Interestingly, I I looked um, at the uh, Jewish Publication Society uh, translation of this. I often do this when I'm in the Old Testament. I just wanted to see how, how JPS translated this word. And they translate this word as studies. Meditate and, and studies. See, it's about taking and listening and doing, not just checking the box. So now we have to ask ourselves okay, so we're supposed to do these things, we're supposed to. The light in the Lord's instructions, we're supposed to meditate on them. When do we do these things? And we're told we're, we're to do it day and night. That should, that should maybe tickle your ears from last week when we looked at that passage from Deuteronomy, the passage that we call the, the Shema. Right? Because right there it says, in the morning and in the evening, when you lie down and when you get up, when do you lie down at night, unless you're taking a mid-afternoon nap? When do you get up in the day? This is, the, this, is this scriptural idea that, that in every moment of the day, we're to be contemplating and taking Scripture and meditating on it and making it a part of who we are. Let me ask you a question. If you needed to take a shower, 
and you stood under a faucet that was dripping one drip of water out about every three seconds, would you ever get clean? It didn't matter how long you stood under that faucet, right? You would never get clean. And yet, how many of us take the same approach to Scripture? We come once a week, twice a week, once a month, three times a year, to church. And we stand under the faucet, and we let a little drop of Scripture fall on us. And we think, that's enough. We've got to be washed with the Scripture, day in and day out, all day long, constantly. Standing, standing under a dripping faucet doesn't get you clean. Standing under a dripping Bible where you get one or two verses every few days isn't going to cut it. So we see what we're not supposed to do. We see what we're supposed to do and when we're supposed to do it. The third thing is we can see what the, what the consequences are, what, what it will be like if we do what we're supposed to do. The, the psalmist here uses a metaphor. Remember, metaphors are comparisons that use like or as. That's just a reminder to your students. Now your English teachers don't have to remind you. He uses that, right? He says, he says a tree, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams. Have you ever seen a tree planted beside a flowing stream? He's got permanent access to that water, right? A couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about living water. We talked about how the Scripture is just re- filled with these images of living water. Here's another one. Even though it doesn't say living water, this is what he's talking about. That we're going to be like a stream when we plant ourselves next to the stream we need, we are getting what we need to survive. What also happens? Oftentimes, trees that are beside streams have good root systems. They're well rooted. It's getting what it needs. And because it's getting what it needs, what's it able to do? It's able to bear fruit. If you've asked yourself sometimes, man, God, I read this thing about what the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to look like, and I'm just not seeing the fruit in my own life. Are you planted beside the stream of Scripture? Are you getting fed the water that you need to bear fruit? It also says that it doesn't wither. Now, I'm going to clue you in on something that maybe no one's ever clued you in before. Every believer has dry spells. Every believer has moments, seasons, months, years, where they feel far from God and they feel dried out. Everybody experiences it. The the medieval monastic St. John of the Cross described it as the dark night of the soul. But let me offer this to you. If you are in a season where you feel parched 
and withered and dried out, come back and ask yourself, am I being watered with Scripture? Or have I gotten up, pulled my roots up, and walked away from the stream? The final thing is it says, it says that whatever he does prospers. Now, it would be really easy for someone to take this verse and twist it and turn it into something prosperity gospel. But that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is that if you are doing the things that you're supposed to do, you are going to be not shaped and formed by the wicked. You're going to be shaped and formed by Scripture. And what you do and what you want and your desires of your heart are going to be shaped and formed by God. And when we are shaped and formed by God, and when we want for ourselves the things that God wants for us, we prosper. We prosper in ways that are so much bigger than a flashy car or a great watch or money in the bank account. We truly prosper. Because... We're following not our heart, which is wicked, but God's heart, which desires the best for us. So here's the thing. If we're supposed to wash ourselves in Scripture, if we're supposed to study, if we're supposed to grow in maturity, how do we do that? What are some of the ways that we can do that? Well, the first thing is get into the Word. And let me say again, If you need a copy of Scripture, grab one of those black hardback Bibles in front of you. Take it with you. Read it. Start there. Read it. But but how do we meditate? How do we learn more about it? You know, one of the things that we're called to do, those of us who are called to be leaders in God's church, one of the things that we're called to do is equip the saints. And I try and equip you on Sunday morning. I try and equip you one-on-one. I try to equip you on Wednesday night and on Sunday night. But here's the thing. I can't sit in your living room 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mostly because you don't want me there. Not that much. But most of us have something in our lives that's always present. Whether it's our computer or our phone or our TV. And so I want to let you know, if you look on the back of your order of service, there are some resources that are made available to you by this church so that you can equip and so that you can grow. Any of these resources, if you have an internet connection at home, at the library, here at the church, you can access these free resources. The first one that you see there that we are launching today is called Right Now Media. If you get home, if you've, if you've ever played around on Netflix, Right Now Media is going to feel very familiar to you. There are amazing resources on there for Bible study and for devotion. There is amazing stuff on there for kids, for those of you who have little ones in your life and you're looking for good well-done, positive programming that helps them learn about God and the Bible. Right now, media has got some amazing stuff on there. Some of you will, have, will come home to an email with a link. 
I don't have everybody's email address, so not everybody's going to get an email. But if you look on here, next to point number one, there is a link there that you can go and you can join for free. At 12.15, that link is going to post to our Facebook page. You can click on that link. And here's the thing. It's free to anybody. You don't have to be a member of this church. You've got a cousin in Timbuktu who wants to know more about Jesus. Give him that link and let him sign up and, and learn. So that's something new that we're doing. I also want to remind you of some stuff that we've had for a while that you can be taking advantage of. That's through our relationship and our partnership with Faith Life. Faith Life is the folks who do our website. They do our presentation software. But because of our partnership with them, you have access to Logos Bible software, which is an amazing software. Now, here's the thing. You don't, you don't have access to everything because that costs like $10,000 a person, and I love you, but not that much. But you've got access to some really powerful tools to study the Bible. If you're a Sunday school teacher or you're ever leading somebody, take advantage of Logos. Learn some more. One of the other things that we've got available is something called Faith Life TV, which is very similar to, right now, media. It doesn't have as much stuff on there, but it's really similar. Here's the great thing. If you're connected to our, to our group, you can pull it up on your app, on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer, on your TV, and you can listen to the sermon again later in the week. Not that you want to listen to me more than once a week, but say you miss Sunday, you go down to the beach, you can catch it. There's some other things on there that, some other free resources on there, things that I find to be really helpful in my life. There are many Bible apps. I recommend the YouVersion Bible app. Um, uh, Ligonier Ministries and Desiring God Ministries both have amazing resources available for free. Um, Love Worth Finding, which was the ministry started by uh, Adrian Rogers, um, all of his stuff is available. But finally, I want to remind you that we have a church library. Up here on the second floor, recently Audrey has sort of taken it on and she's working on processing some stuff that got donated that had never got processed in, working on um, updating the collection, but even right now there are some amazing resources up there for you to learn and to grow. So I want to just point out all of these things to you and let you know that these are resources that we have available to you that are free. Free is my favorite price. I don't know about you. If you have any questions about any of this right now, faith life, any of that, if you're having trouble getting it signed up, you want to take advantage of it, don't know how, I recognize that this is going to be new and different for some of you. You Maybe not have done some of this stuff before. Let me know. I'll, I'll be glad to come to where you are and help you on your computer or on your TV or on your phone sign up for this stuff and show you how to do it and help you with it. And I know that we've probably got some other people that when they learn how to do it, we'll be happy to help you too. This is stuff that we are providing to you so that you can grow. That, that passage from 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is is saying, for my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready. He's talking about spiritual maturity and growing in faith. And I hope that you want to join us in that.
Our hymn of invitation this morning is going to be uh, hymn number 502, Open My Eyes That I May See. This is an opportunity.